AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Hope you're having a good day. Coming up on our program, we're going to talk markets and the economy with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X, as we take a look at the, the impact of this latest COVID variant and the uncertainty surrounding that and um, impact on markets. We've already seen a lot of that, so we'll talk about that. Also, we're going to talk with Jim Baer, CEO of the U.S. Apple Association, um, a trade dispute with India, tariffs causing a lot of problems, us being able to sell into that market, our apples. We'll get the very latest on that. And we're going to talk about uh, some projections uh, for the coming year as far as acres are concerned. We're going to start things off today with a look at weather trends. Here we are in December now, uh, looking ahead to winter and what next year might bring us. A lot of questions around the, this uh, repeat La Nina and things like that. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, joins us now. Dennis, good to talk with you. First of all, some uh, really, in many parts of the country, very mild winter uh, weather in November and even now into December. Most definitely. Uh, you know, yesterday was the start of climatological winter, which is the start of the, the first or the, the first day of the 90 coldest days of the year throughout the middle part of the U.S. But sure did not seem like winter around the region, you know, highs in the 60s and even 70s in places setting some records. So very mild start to December. And it looks like that's going to be staying with us right now. Uh, you know, right now, the, the outlook throughout a good chunk of, of the early to mid part of December, still thick on the warm side throughout a good portion of, of the north central U.S., maybe not as much further north, uh, you know, cl- close to the Canadian border. Got pluses and minuses there. I mean, it's good to be able, if you need to get out and do things, it's, it's nice to be able to do that. Um, downsides, we haven't frozen soils yet. Uh, it does lead to some additional evaporation. So if you have some soils that are a little bit dry, we're drying them out more related to that. And, you know, more, 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 you know, less chance to kill off insects and things like that. So it's, it's kind of a trade-off right now, but it is, it is a fairly pleasant start to, to the month, definitely. Is this part of a, a bigger trend? Is this La Nina, or what do you see happening? Is this just kind of a just a short-term thing? Um, right now, it, it is a short-term-ish thing. Well, let's 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 dive into that a little bit more. The outlooks for you know for winter, based on what we would see with La Nina, do lean towards the warm side, say from. Uh, you know, from from most of the southern half to two thirds of the U.S. and then the northeastern part of the U.S. So that we're, you know, that we would be a little warmer uh, for the start of winter is not a surprise. That the warmth is this warm and extending this far north is uh, a bit of an oddity. Uh, we've got a bigger ridge of high pressure that's parked over the the central U.S. and actually much of the western U.S. and really has not been moving very much. It's it's interesting because I was having a conversation earlier this week with some folks, some national folks. You know, if you've been watching, uh, Alaska's been fairly cold. And what we would expect to see when Alaska gets cold is that cold air eventually works its way down through Canada and comes into the north central U.S., but at this point, it's not done that. It's kind of moved over into Canada some, but has not made very much progress southward. We get little bits of cold here and there, but we really haven't had, you know, a big cold intrusion yet, and we're still not seeing one. It might be the latter part of December before we finally see, a, you know, a, a pretty good cold spell with this. So, again, pluses and minuses with that. Um, we do expect La Nina to continue. And La Nina tends to have a, a bigger impact on the latter part of winter, so we would expect things to start kicking in then. Um, we expect, you know, some better chances for cold, especially northern plains, uh, by, you know, the, the mid-latter part of winter will finally start kicking in there. And then the precipitation issues, we probably will start kicking in more as we go along here. 
So where are we on the drought monitor map as we head here at the end of the year and into next year? Well, it, it, it's a tale of where you are, uh, really, on the drought monitor map. Um, most of the eastern part of the Corn Belt is clear uh, on the drought monitor. You know, there's a few dry pockets here and there, but nothing of significance. You get up into parts of Illinois and Iowa, there's some lingering drought issues, and then there's been some additional development up in Wisconsin and parts of, of Minnesota. But then as you go further west, we have ongoing severe drought problems. Um, in fact, I just received an email from one of my colleagues in USDA said that we've uh, uh, reached over 50% coverage in the U.S. on drought monitor, and uh, we've moved. You know, we're moving into record territory for numbers of weeks at 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 you know at this much coverage of the U.S. drought monitor. Uh, you know, we've had over half the country, or more than 40% of the country, on the U.S. drought monitor covered you know, well back into last year. So the, it's all a Western part of the U.S. problem. The, the other place we're watching, uh, going to be more concerned about development is the central to southern plains because of these, the, the warm conditions now and they uh, the, the central to southern plains have a better chance of being drier into winter. Um, so that is, a, is an ongoing concern there. The place, the thing that we're watching on the opposite side, you mentioned the eastern part of the Corn Belt, you know, generally is, is wetter and either not bad or a little bit wet in places. Uh, the La Nina outlook uh, have better chances for precipitation, Ohio Valley and Great Lakes area. And uh, if that does come to pass, that would mean additional precipitation in that area. So that could lead to some delays in spring planting and spring field work in that area. Uh, so that's the other side of the overwatching besides the drought monitor. And finally, uh, I know you've been looking at some of the long-term impacts of weather trends on agriculture, how agriculture can plan or deal for some of this. Uh, what what kind of an overview, what are you t telling people about this? Well, I mean, we're, we're definitely encouraging people to uh, look at their operations and see what things have been happening to them. You know, we're talking about drought now because drought is an issue we, we constantly have a problem with, but you know, much more uh, more consistent issue has been excessive wetness, and excessive wetness can lead towards soil loss. So that's the thing we're really trying to encourage people. In fact, just did a talk yesterday, talking about some of these longer-term changes and, and climate change issues, and saying here's here's things that are happening and things we've got to keep watching out for. You know, and then the first thing we we you know really impress upon people is making sure you're taking care of soils doing everything you can to make sure you're taking care of soils because that is our first line of defense against anything that's coming in the way of climate and you know we can manage against you know some larger rainfalls but then people were talking yesterday also about these bigger and bigger rainfalls you know five six eight ten inches and it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to protect your soils completely against those types of rainfalls. So those are the things we're, we're trying to work on. Drought is still a problem, so we, we keep talking about what's happening in the way of drought and then other sundry issues related to that. Dennis, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, you guys have a great day. All right. Thank you. Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, as we look at the the long-term weather trends. All right, stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And that's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. 
learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Get your tickets today at dtn.com backslash ag summit. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Just a reminder that Monday and Tuesday of next week, I'll be in Chicago for the DTN Ag Summit and broadcasting both days from that meeting, talking with their speakers, and we'll be talking markets, and uh, we'll be talking trade and legislation and policy, a lot of things. So that'll be coming up Monday and Tuesday of next week. Uh, By the way, Mike Pearson will be with you on the show tomorrow. All right, joining me now is Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Always good to talk with Matt. And Matt, here we are into December, and we're trying to figure out where these markets are going. Then you throw in another... COVID variant and uh, everything seems to be kind of up in the air. We're still worried about what's China going to do. Are they going to keep buying? What happens at the end of the year? Phase one's done. So what happens after that? Got some uncertainty here. Yeah, there's plenty of uncertainty. You know, you look at what crude oil's done lately, and it certainly, you know, it's kind of lent a little bit of, uh, I guess, credence to where the markets have been going. Uh, this morning, you know, crude has been up. It's been down. Uh, OPEC said they were going to actually continue with their plans to increase production on out past uh, uh, the first of the year. And so with that being the case, uh, the crude oil market did not like that a whole lot. Whenever we look over at, uh, you know, for instance, the Dow finally bounced back up that huge sell-off towards the end of the day yesterday. We're up 400 points, and then the, the dollar's down. And so we look over to commodities, we're up. Uh, you know, it, it's nice to see. I, I think one thing that kind of jumps out this morning is a little more talk all the time about southern Brazil and Argentina kind of trending drier. La Nina is still in place. And typically when La Nina is in place, uh, you really struggle to raise a normal-sized soybean crop in Argentina, which uh, many times, as we know, can have a big impact on the soybean meal market uh, due to the fact that they usually put about 50% of that meal out on the world market. Is it a... Are we in a, a kind of a bearish uh, feel for the markets right now, or does it just seem that way because we've been so bullish for so long? 
You know, it, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, if you get into the doldrums uh, towards the end of the year, you know, you, you think, well, we're going to kind of level out, maybe lower some volume. But it sure seems to me like with some of these, uh, some of the weakness that we've seen at times lately, uh, we've seen some buyers kind of step up and, and buy. Uh, part of the thing that I guess I struggle with a little bit whenever I look at, for instance, the soybean market is that uh, we're actually below pretty much all of the uh, – uh, support that we had previously, you know, and so uh, the bean market's actually susceptible to more downside pressure. And so, uh, you know, obviously with Brazil looking good to start, I think that that provided some headwinds. Uh, you know, we're probably closing the gap pretty quickly on uh, what we see for an export program, but at the same time, the river basis really seems to be picking up the SIP market. Uh, I, I can tell you that it sure seems to me that we're doing a fair amount of soybean business right now. And I hope that that uh, lasts past the end of the year, but I'm not necessarily going to count on it. And corn, uh, we've had support from uh, the ethanol market. Do you see that continuing or does this new variant bring that into question? Uh, A lot of questions, you know, people are concerned. uh, Is everything going to slow down? Maybe not lock down, but slow down again. Uh, That would impact demand uh, for fuel and uh, impact that ethanol market. You know, corn is a different uh, animal than beans. You know, technically, which I already talked to beans a little bit technically, technically on corn, you know, you look, for instance, at the beef uh, corn chart, and uh, you're actually above uh, most of your longer-term moving average, all of them, you know, your 50, 100, and your uh, 200-day moving averages, uh, and you're kind of just trading right within your your, your 10 and 20s. But <laughs> whenever I look at corn, yeah, you got to be concerned about ethanol margins, whenever you see crude basically taking a huge hit here lately. You know, we were trading above $80 just a few sessions ago, and we're currently trading 65 So no doubt that this gigantic ethanol grind that we've seen lately looks like it could be susceptible on farther out if you don't get this crude oil market straightened out. Now, me personally, I'm not so sure that this crude oil market is going to continue on the path that it is. In fact, I, I don't know that I would uh, be selling it in here uh, personally, but at the same time, uh, nobody really knows. Now, whenever I look at corn long term, uh, same things we've talked about before, you, you know, input prices are really high for 22. So there's going to be a lot of angst and a lot of pressure on trying to figure out what we're going to do on acreage. Uh, but I think input availability is a bit more of an issue. Boy, I'm hearing a lot of producers throughout the Corn Belt saying, you know, I could still roll on some anhydrous. I just can't get it. And that's a very frustrating thing, especially, you know, if they've prepaid at some lower prices. I think there's going to be a lot of very unhappy producers and some very tense uh, uh, discussions here over the next few weeks uh, due to the way that this is all panning out. And quite frankly, I think a lot of people didn't think that they'd be putting gas on in the month of December. But this corn market, to me, has to stay fairly well supported. Uh, basis levels tell me that they're still hunting for corn. So, I feel pretty confident that we're at least going to see some good support here. We're talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So on that front, as far as possible acres for next year, Scott Irwin, University of Illinois ag economist, came out with a projection of uh, 96 million corn acres next year. Uh, That's higher than I've seen anybody else. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, Mike, Scott's a lot smarter than what I am. So first of all, let's start there. Uh, but second of all, I don't agree with him, and I think that's okay. Uh, whenever I look over at the, you know, for instance, the cotton market, you know, you've still got triple digits on uh, most of the months until you get out to next fall. The cotton producer uh, staring at $90, uh, you know, cotton for this next year. There's no question that uh, there's going to be some interest in planting a lot of cotton. Obviously, spring wheat still over $10. Uh, you know, you look, whether you're talking uh, – Milo, sorghum. I mean, bottom line, there's a lot of folks coming to the table looking for acres. Uh, $96 million is a bit rich. That's assuming extremely small uh, prevent plant uh, from my vantage point. You know, and then uh, whenever I look at the difference between corn and soybeans, you know, I think with, there's a lot of angst and uncertainty about being able to get a hold of the inputs. Uh, to me, after raising uh, a record soy, uh, corn crop and uh, pushing a record on soybean crop, you know, we, we know a lot of producers had fantastic soybeans. And so, uh, obviously, you've got much less risk in throwing, uh, you know, some of these beans out there in the field and corn. So I guess my w- way of answering that is corn on corn acres, to me, will be a little harder to come by, I think, uh, given uh, a lot of the challenges we've got with input price and availability, as well as fringe acres, 
you know, I don't know that I, I'm going to see a lot of producers stepping in there and spending uh, what it's going to take to be able to put that crop out. So I'm definitely not in the 96 camp. I would bet really good money that we'll be under that. I could be wrong, but uh, I'm probably a lot closer to 90 at this stage of the game, and I'm not so sure we'll even get there unless we have a really good spring. Yeah, it would seem that a lot of things would really have to fall into place for us to get to 96 million, because even if farmers wanted to plant that, that many corn acres, as you said, they might not be able to get the inputs to do it. I don't know that they can, you know, based upon the conversations we have with the major players in this fertilizer uh, situation, uh, they don't feel like we've got a lot, uh, you know, to where we can get much over 90. I mean, that's the, what's the, what I can continue to hear over and over again. And so, um, uh, yeah, a lot of things have to fall into place. This fall wasn't perfect, but we had a pretty decent run on anhydrous. Next spring is going to have to be ideal, though. And, uh, boy, that's, uh, you're putting a lot of chips on the table uh, betting on the weather. The wheat market has been very interesting to watch what's happening there. And we've talked before how it's a different global dynamic now where <laughs> the world's not awash in wheat as it has been for many years now. So it's a different uh, scenario. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, I mean, this wheat market is certainly an interesting market. We really built ourselves up, and it looked like we might be hitting $9 or $10 wheat. Quite frankly, I wasn't so sure that that wasn't the case. You know, and I guess, uh, again, you're, you're, you're still above your 50, 100, 200-day moving averages whenever you look out at the March contract. You're kind of buttoning up on that 50-day, though. Uh, the wheat market today here, though, of course, you're up 14, 15 cents. If you can do this, if you can push much uh, much more than this, you can get back up to your 10 and 20 day today or tomorrow. And so uh, I guess for uh, for wheat, I think there's a lot of people are going to be watching to see if it holds its ground, if you see new buying come in. If you do, uh, the wheat market, I think, has got all the ammunition to be able to continue to run higher. Uh, obviously, the wheat market is, is uh, tough to figure out. It's tough to gauge. Uh, but at the same time, uh, whenever I look at stocks use ratios, significantly less, you know, you're under 30% versus almost a normal uh, world and domestic uh, stocks use over the last several years has been around 50%. You know, you're not going to have much cheap feed wheat to feed this year. Uh, you're going to be in a situation, in my opinion, where uh, wheat is going to be uh, tight enough that your people that are trying to buy wheat, your end users, if you will, uh, they're going to be very uh, proactive on any sort of dips in the market. Matt, always good to talk with you. Thanks for jumping on with us today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We're going to continue talking about the markets and take a look at the overall economic news and what's going on there and those outside forces on commodity markets. We're going to talk with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. That's next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 
You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rawl. October was a record month for U.S. soybean crush, which totaled 197 million bushels, according to the USDA's Fats and Oils report. U.S. ethanol production remains above 1 million barrels per day for the ninth week in a row. Current corn used is about 5 million bushels per week over the USDA's annual forecast paste. On the Board of Trade this morning, March corn trading 5.5 cent higher at 5.77 and a fraction. The May contract up 5 and three quarters at 578 and three quarters. For soybeans, the March contract up a nickel at 1240. The November contract up eight and a half cent at 1222 and a half cent. For wheat, Chicago wheat March up 15 at 805 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat March up 13 and a fraction at 832 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 18 at 1055. The March contract up 13 and three quarters at 1033 and a half cent. So far, there have been a few cattle traded but steady with last week, but that has not been a solid indicator for the rest of this week. Packers continue to hold their bids at Tuesday's level with limited interest shown by feedlots. Business is expected to be more active today, with Packers likely forced to pay higher again for cattle. There is concern over continued weakness of boxed beef, with choice down $1.46 and select down $2.32. For livestock, the February live cattle contract trading 47 cents higher at 139.07. The April contract up 40 at 142.17. For feeder cattle, the January contract down 47 at 165.35. The March contract down 47 at 167.42. In lean hogs, the December contract down 47 at 73.15. The February contract down 67 at 79.45. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always enjoy talking with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX, as we take a look at uh, the big picture, the economic news, what's going on even behind the scenes, things that sometimes we don't always, uh, uh, you know, associate with being market moving, but these factors all are important. And Arlen, thanks for joining us. We have lots to talk about, a lot of things going on, including this new uh, uh, COVID variant, and that gets people uneasy and nervous and wondering what's going to happen and what's the government going to do. All that brings a, a, a lot of uncertainty to things. Yeah, and the markets don't really like uncertainty. Now, the computers, the fund managers, they like volatility because they can trade that volatility, but uh, uncertainty that oftentimes is associated does create some fear among them. And we measure that fear with the VIX, that's Wall Street's fear index. It's based upon uh, put option premiums for S&P 500 futures uh, contracts. And so when the VIX goes higher, that means you have elevated fear levels. And the VIX will normally trade in the teens under normal conditions. I've noticed over the years that when it trades above 30, it becomes difficult for any particular commodity asset to sustain a rally unless that particular commodity has strong near-term fundamentals. Because when fear is high, fund managers are 
are moving their money to safe havens or moving it to the sideline until they know more about the uncertainty, whatever that may be. Now, we've had it spike a couple of times. One was during the uh, big Great Recession in October of 2008 when it spiked to 87.5. Fear was obviously very high then. And then during the pandemic, it spiked to 85.7. So when unknowns were very high once again, yesterday it spiked to about 33. So it got above that 30 level again, and it's been playing around that 30 level. And on those days are when we tend to see money go to the sidelines. And on days when it starts to pull back and ease back lower again, we've been seeing money go into the ags because the ags have seen been seen kind of as an inflation story. They have a fundamental story. They're seen as a hedge against inflation in portfolios. So all of this kind of ties together right now. What are you making of the Fed chairman's comments about how he he sees them dealing with and handling inflation? Very interesting dynamics this week. He testified before the Senate Banking Committee, and he stated that we can retire the word transitory. In other words, he was conceding what we've been saying all year long, that this inflation is not transitory. There are transitory aspects to it, but there's also a lot of persistent aspects to it. And the Fed follows particularly the PCE index, the personal consumption expenditure index, and that tends to lean more toward the services sector. And uh, with wages going up around 5% right now, we're anticipating that that's going to remain elevated well into next year. So we're going to have high inflation probably well next year. He seems to be acknowledging that. In his testimony, he acknowledged the problem that Omicron, the new variant of of COVID-19 presents to the economy, not just domestically, but globally. But he focused more on the inflation risk, which means that, and he went on to say then, maybe we need to end our tapering, uh, in other words, complete our tapering, slowing of new asset purchases uh, several months early. That would then allow them to start raising interest rates earlier than was projected as well. So the markets have been responding to that acknowledgement that inflation is a problem and is a concern for the Federal Reserve. And watching those interest rates, uh, that gets people nervous. Uh, How do you see that approach when he talks like that? uh, Incremental, small increases, how, how do you see that playing out? Well, the market has become accustomed to just 25 basis point moves in interest rates. So that's the way it always talks. Well, how many interest rate hikes will we have next year? Will it be two? Will it be three? And they're assuming 25 basis point moves. Uh, But if inflation gets out of hand, those moves can be much bigger. We saw, particularly in the Paul Volcker days over four decades ago, when you had much larger moves, and you can get 50 basis points, 75 basis points, even 100 basis point move at one time in interest rates, trying to get a handle on inflation to slow it down. How do they slow it down? Typically, by putting the brakes on the economy, by raising interest rates so that more money goes toward paying interest, therefore isn't available for consumption, therefore consumers slow down their purchases. Right now we have hyper demand, artificially elevated demand because of all of the fiscal and monetary stimulus that's in the economy domestically and globally because this has been happening around the world in the major economies. And so you get inflation under control by slowing that money flow down. Yeah, that brings back a lot of bad memories for a lot of people. It, and, it's, it really and it seems does. like, and once you start down that path, you're always trying to catch up or trying to get ahead of inflation. And it seems like that's pretty hard to do. It really is. And that's been one of the fears of the market all along over the past year as uh, as Jay Powell has continued to emphasize, no, it's just transitory. Uh, now, more and more of his voting members of the Federal Open Market Committee of the Fed have been moving toward that more hawkish view in recent months. And he has not until he got the nomination for another four-year term. Once he got that nomination last month, then he suddenly seemed 
seem to uh, get religion, so to speak, and uh, start to go along with the more and more of the voting members that are concerned about inflation. We don't want to get in a situation like what we were in in the late 1970s when Paul Volcker had to take drastic action to try to bring inflation under control. The question is, are we at that point yet now? I don't think so but we're on the cusp of it, and so I think some quick action is needed to make sure we don't get to that point. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. Now, the president says if they pass this spending bill, that that's going to fix a lot of things and improve our economy, but I, I have great concerns about more spending, more federal dollars going in into an inflationary period. Uh, doesn't history tell us that causes problems? Yeah, it really does. But we have an increasing number of people in Washington who simply ascribe to an ac academic theory called modern monetary theory that uh, government can spend as much as you like when they have a fiat currency. In other words, they print their own currency because they can just print whatever money they need to pay their bills. Um, but it goes back to the example again, if I were to give you $10 million, it's going to in, it's going to change your consumption habits. You're going to start spending more. And we have essentially done that by pumping hundreds of billions of dollars into the consumer's hands in the United States. And we've done that around the world as well. They've increased their spending habits, increasing consumption demand. Uh, and uh, that's at a much faster pace than what either labor or the infrastructure of our production cycle and distribution cycle can handle it. That creates inflation. And so when you ascribe to modern monetary theory, you're totally ignoring that consumer behavior, consumer behavior factor, and uh, it, it runs you into trouble. You know, when I hear politicians and others downplay the, uh, the impact or the seriousness of inflation, it, it just sounds like people have never been through it before because we, those of us that have been through inflationary times know how tough that is and, and how serious it is. Yeah, and I remember well what happened in the 70s and into early 80s, and it led partially to a very dark period for agriculture in the mid-80s, and I'd never want to see us go through that once again. And I, I remember here several months ago when I posted a tweet uh, about the inflation risks that are out there, and uh, I had a farmer comment, oh, it's never going to get that bad. When has it ever done that? And I looked at his profile and I realized he was a young farmer who wasn't around in the 70s and early 80s. Yeah, that you have a different perspective if you haven't been through it. Hey, real quick, what, what do you make of these these land values? I mean, they keep going up and up. Yeah, and, and a lot of that's a reflection of the prices that we have and the money that's flowing into agriculture right now uh, and contributing to the inflation. And land is also seen as a hedge of inflation. So some of it is farmer buying, some of it is outside investor buying and investment firms that are buying money flowing to the hard assets as a hedge against inflation. And we keep saying it can't go much higher, can it? But we keep setting these records. Uh, do you see that continuing? Yeah, as long as inflation is a story, uh, I continue to see that money going toward the hard assets. Wow. So we'll watch that. Real quick, uh, here we are into December. Quick outlook on uh, corn and soybean prices. Well, this is a time when we tend to struggle a little bit, but long-term, corn's job is to maintain a price that will pay the price of fertilizer to make sure we plant enough acres next year. And fertilizer prices are still going up, setting new records. So if one thing, willing to pay the price for fertilizer, getting it will be the other part of that equation. Absolutely. And that will impact acres, certainly going at soybean prices. What do you see the soybean market real quick? Uh, soy oil is driven by crude oil now, a stronger correlation. We have a lysine shortage in North America that's increasing demand for meal. That's helping prop up soybeans. If we lose that, we got a big crop in South America coming. So we've got to watch that. We'll keep a close watch on that crop in South America and their weather. Always good to talk with you. Thanks, Arlen. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. A trade issue with India that we're going to talk about next. Stay with us. This is AOA.
AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of extend max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. extend max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's got to earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. 
Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have a trade dispute concerning apples to India. I want to talk about that with Jim Baer, CEO of U.S. Apple. Jim, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us about this. Uh, what's the latest? How long has it been going on? Hey, good to talk to you, Mike. Well, it's go- it's been going on since spring of 2018, and that's when the previous presidential administration put the tariffs on imported steel and aluminum from India. We thought it was a mistake at the time. India is the world's largest democracy. They deserve to be an equal partner in trade with the United States. And as all of the ag commodity groups and the farmers in your listening area will attest, they've spent decades and a lot of time and money to develop those markets. And we really, we own that market in India for U.S. apples, and when the tariffs went into effect and India retaliated, they put tariffs on apples and and pork and some other commodities. The tariffs on apples are now 70%. So you can imagine that that really pumped the brakes on their imports of apples at that time. And there are other exporters in the world. We're not the only shop on the block, so that really was a disappointment and it's really hammered our exports there at the time india was our second largest market behind mexico and since that time the exports have have plummeted by uh, 79 percent. so we really need to get that market back yeah if you lose 79 percent of your number two market that that's that's a big hit that's hard to overcome that it is and you know i personally i think it's a miracle of modern American agriculture that you can ship uh, apples halfway around the world. And when they get there, not only are they still delicious to eat, but they're affordable. And it's, it's about 10,000 miles in a six week ocean voyage from Seattle to Mumbai. And, uh, you know, despite those logistical hurdles, we still own that market and we need to get it back. Farmers all are too, acutely aware that in a, in a business like agriculture with razor thin or non-existent margins, uh, we need every market. And when you, as you say, lose your number two market, that's, that's causing a lot of pain. And it certainly is for us. So any indication this administration is going to address this situation? We've been meeting and discussing this with um, the Biden administration trade people since um, right after the election a year ago. And we've been having regular conversations, and so we're, you know, we realize we're not as big as pork or beef or corn or soybeans or wheat, but it's important to the apple growers of the United States. And so we, we've been trying to keep our, keep our issue in front of them. They've been very welcoming, uh, very uh, attuned to agriculture, I will say. And then with the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai, uh, who met with her counterpart in India first part of last week. I think they made progress on pork imports from the U.S. Uh, they discuss apples and other things. So we're, we're guardedly optimistic. They understand our issue in the White House, and, and we're wishing them Godspeed in getting some of these tricky trade matters settled. Um, it, it, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be on the books in the first place. The steel and aluminum tariffs were put in place at a time when Steel and aluminum were important for war efforts and building tanks and, and trucks and ships, and that clearly isn't the case today. So it, we, we didn't agree with it at the time, and it certainly snapped back to hurt agriculture. You know, we had no dog in that fight, although I would say that increasing the cost of steel and aluminum has also increased the cost of tractors and trucks and pickups and 
everything else that we rely on in agriculture. So it's it's kind of been a, a double whammy for us, but hopefully progress is being made. We were anxious to see that happen. Uh, we've talked before about the impact of these supply chain issues uh, on your industry. Are you seeing any improvement, any easing of the situation? No, and and that's you know that's another element that's really troublesome. As you and I have discussed in the past, the ships that bring sneakers and laptop computers and everything for the uh, U.S holiday season would ordinarily be coming this direction and they'd be returning full of U.S. farm commodities. And unfortunately, they're deadheading back empty. And apparently they don't care that it doubles the the uh, cost of the freight to ship those products here because they're returning with no uh, with no cargo. And so uh, that's not that's certainly not helping any. And um you know, so there's lots of things going on right now that just are really troublesome, dark clouds for agriculture. We need to get these things fixed because, you know, there's you've seen the same pictures I've seen of all the vessels that are anchored offshore, the Port of Long Beach and Los Angeles and Seattle and and so forth. And um, that's over the long run is going to damage our ability to service our overseas markets. And, and that would be a, a huge opportunity miss. You know, when, once you lose a sale to some other nation, some other competitor, you can never get that sale back no matter how hard you work. And so every, every sale that's missed is, is money out of the pockets of U.S. farmers. And a lot of it comes back to the labor issue, doesn't it? It does. And uh, we struggle with that constantly. That's the for us, that's the largest expense in growing apples. Um, you know, people don't think about it any more than they think about how a how a package of meat or a or a box of cereal gets to their grocery store. But for us, it's labor because it all has to be hand harvested. And uh, when we can't get our labor, and frankly, no American wants to do that work. And that's just a sad reality of today. And when when McDonald's is offering people $16, $17 an hour, we have a hard time competing with that in agriculture. And it's going to get worse. Um, last week, the Department of Labor announced the ag labor rate that's going up. And some places 10% a year, and farmers can't deal with that. Yeah, huge challenge for sure. Jim, as always, thank you for being with us. You bet, Mike. Happy holidays. You too. Take care. Jim Baer, CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Mike Pearson will be with you tomorrow, and Monday I'll be in Chicago broadcasting from the DTN Ag Summit. Join us on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts.